Um, I also have, I have a, um, like a can of beer here, just in case what you're saying I'm not getting. So to ease, <laughs> to ease me into it. <laughs> if it's too complicated, I'm just going to open it up. That's, that's legitimate. I mean, if you want a reason to be drunk, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday afternoon. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is Future Shift, where we understand how the world is changing through the new jobs and industries being created. This morning, I had a DIY question passed to me, to which my solution of add more power was a failure. So I did what any self-respecting adult would do, and I called my dad on WhatsApp. As is the norm now, I made myself as presentable as possible from the collarbone up, pulled the phone up to my eyeline, and clicked video call. Staring back at me, floating above my own flat pre-shower hair, was the phrase end-to-end encrypted. Does this mean my haggard appearance is safe from WhatsApp and hackers? And how long is this level of protection likely to last? Today we're talking about the hidden art that protects so many of our daily interactions, cybersecurity and encryption. Well, this is where we start. I admit to having minimal knowledge on this, so I'm joined by Charlie Grover, a doctor in lattice cryptography, which he explains... So lattice cryptography is a branch of quantum-resistant cryptography. This is encryption for quantum computing, and which is split into various fields of study. And Charlie says the lattice variety is the... Biggest by, like, volume of study. And? Plaws would be the best one for cryptography against quantum computers, but as of yet, unclear. So he looks at how traditional forms of cryptography and cybersecurity could work on a completely new type of computer, the quantum computer. In today's episode, we talk about the interesting maths problems behind encryption, how it can apply to government watch lists and airplane passengers, and whether quantum computers really will be seen in 20 years time. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So let's 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 dive into it then. It feels like now's a good time to start. What is cryptography? Like what what does it do? So it's sort of the study of uh, transferring information in plain sight. So when you imagine a bunch of encrypted data, I think people sort of imagine a bunch of data in a locked box which you can't see. Mm-hmm. But in practice, when you send the data in transit, people will be able to intercept it. So it's important for it to be transmitted in a form where you can't understand what you're reading when you're reading it. So the sort of Caesar cipher that most people are familiar with is a good example because it's like I take a bunch of letters and I just like shift them all 10 letters down the alphabet when I'm trying to send my message and to get it back all you do is just shift back 10 letters. Mm-hmm. And I mean for sort of obvious reasons this isn't actually practical. But when you send like information as a stream of bits if you just do some operation on the bits that, you know, the person who's receiving it can sort of reverse, mm-hmm. you can imagine more complicated things that are hard to understand, especially if you don't know some information, the parties who are sort of sending these bits between them know, which they can use to reverse their transformation. Okay. Okay. So it's making any kind of information transfer or data transfer unreadable while it's in transit. Yeah, that's the aim. Okay. Where is this used in the world today? So I think um, in the sort of background on the internet, there's this thing called TLS, which stands for Transport Layer Security. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is basically how you guarantee that, you know, if you send some information to your bank or you, you know, make a transaction online or you send some WhatsApp messages to your friends or whatever, mm. like whenever you contact a server that's like running the internet in quotes, you'll be doing this sort of let you have a layer of security on top where somehow you and this server agree on a way to send messages that are unreadable apart from for you to. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of the big one. Obviously, you know, lots of stored information is stored in an encrypted sense, especially if your servers have to be like on accessible online. So if you use AWS, Amazon Web Services or something like that, and they store your information, you might want, given that the information is by design accessible from far away, you want them to store it in some way, which is encrypted as well. Okay. So, so whenever, so like you're saving your data somewhere in the cloud or in, in whatever storage facility and almost at no point is it actually readable as your data it's always something different yeah that's that's your like best case scenario for a user huh okay that's quite interesting and so and you mentioned like quantum computers earlier what are like quantum computers so on a, a level of like physics detail i'm not going to be able to give you too much other than their computers that use quantum physics to do computing operations Mm -hmm. on a sort of intuitive level you can imagine they're computers where you replace bits so the sort of zero ones that underlie how computers work with these things called qubits which you store and operate on as points on a circle a point on a circle is a continuous object Mm -hmm. In some senses, depending on your application, they can store and operate on data a lot more efficiently than a regular computer can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so the first difference is that it's just more efficient at like doing things. Yeah, with the caveat that not all things. There are sort of a subset of things where this ability to store points on the circle is useful. So, in some applications, they're extremely good. A sort of an intuitive way to understand it is imagine that it can sort of infinitely parallelize its computation. So if you have to do a lot of sequential things, it might not be that much better. But if you're like trying to do something where you just want to test a hundred different cases and you can do them all at the same time, it's sort of somehow it, let, it lets you do everything in parallel for free. Okay. So if, so oh yeah, so if you want to repeat the same uh, activity, but on lots of different things, you can do them all at the same time and just save a whole bunch of like a whole bunch of time. Yeah, yeah. It, does it have like a kind of commercial use or like me as a user of a computer? Is there anything straight up that could be like, that could be changed for the better or made loads quicker? So, okay, so for a start, functioning quantum computers don't exist yet. They sort of nearly do. Um, so for the foreseeable future, probably sort of applications to like use on the user end will probably be pretty pretty invisible mm-hmm. especially because their power is going to be in problems which require a lot of data or very big numbers so on a sort of user application level there hasn't been too much research that i know about and i wouldn't expect very much to change if you were told your computer could suddenly access some quantum computation somehow okay um, so it's it's much longer term, more kind of like theoretical, just trying to understand it and understand its its kind of use cases before actual commercial application or for our computers. Yeah, so the, I mean, commercial application, I think there's been a decent amount of movement towards, which I think is different to user application. Like, you know, 
I don't care about the ability to do machine learning personally, but you can do sort of machine learning and optimization problems on quantum computers that people probably do care about. Mm-hmm. So for the more, so it sounds like it's more kind of around data science or science research as opposed to just kind of using stuff as a as a customer. Yeah, for the moment, science research is its big, its big sort of uh, selling point. So the main people who are interested in it are banks who do a lot of trading. Maybe if you can go faster, you can do better. People who are interested in solving optimization problems, big tech companies, governments, you know, people like that rather than, you know, people who sell things to consumers. Okay. And just kind of out of interest, like what, so, so you've worked in this for three, four years. What do you find like, interesting what do you find like legitimately interesting about it because it can be quite hard to to keep interest up over three or four years what like like what do you find like super interesting about it so cryptography is a sort of you know the thing i work in relating to them hmm. and we have these ideas about what quantum computers can or can't do so you know quantum distant cryptography is making cryptography that a quantum computer computer can't break and it, i find it sort of amazing that given that the the quantum computers that exist are tiny and can barely do anything i find it remarkable that we have a relatively clean idea of problems that they won't be able to solve and we know less about what they will be able to solve so it's possible that we've completely missed the mark on what they can't solve as a you know as a species but yeah (laughs) it's interesting that so much effort has been poured into working out what a thing that doesn't exist would be able to do were it to exist huh so it's so it's like a lot of the problem space i guess has been figured out even though not a lot of actual leeway has been made in like the manufacturing of it or implementing of it yeah i mean energy is being spent in like manufacturing implementing it just turns out this is really hard yeah (laughs) again i'm because i'm not a physicist i can't tell you exactly why i do know that they need to be kept you know absurdly cold and they're very expensive to just get the components at the moment but Whereas things like, you know, the sort of famous, the first famous quantum algorithm was this one that um, factorizes numbers very efficiently, Mm -hmm. which is why it's important in cryptography. And while it's sort of hard to build these quantum computers and actually make them run this algorithm, just like doing a bit of either maths or physics, depending on your point of view, which shows that this algorithm works and how long it should take if your computer was sort of yay powerful, actually isn't that hard in comparison. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around it because it is like, it is a generally pretty confusing area and it sounds like bits of it are much further ahead than like other bits of it. So it's just, there's a lot of theory being done about it and a lot of research, but it's just the actual practicalities of making it so obstructive that that's like behind. Why? So it, are, are the benefits like incredible? That means that people are still like researching it and still putting it in, even though there are all these barriers. Yeah, so I suppose it depends a bit on who you ask. But so it's been famously true for 20 years that quantum computers will exist in 20 years because (laughs) people think that they're like people think that they're close. Mm. Um, So I've been to a talk where I think it was someone from IBM who said, if you gave me two billion dollars, I could literally build a sufficiently big quantum computer just by acquiring the right parts. That's all we need. Whether or not you believe him is sort of another matter. But so people are interested in it, one, because the benefits do exist. As, you know, as a cryptographer, you'd be a bit scared of them, whereas people who are doing optimization and machine learning can be like, yeah, this is great. Mm. 
So people think that they will do be, be able to do good things and also don't think it's like that unrealistic to build one fairly soon. Mm-hmm. I think if you sort of, again, I'm going to use my cryptography example, this thing that they do, which lets them break most modern forms of encryption is actually kind of remarkable. Like These forms of encryption were built in the seven, like late 70s. And so they've existed for 50 years and we can't break them on a regular computer. So it sort of gives you a bit of scope for how powerful this thing might be that it goes, this thing you've been doing for 50 years and has worked essentially perfectly. You have to be a bit careful with how you define it. But so it sort of shows that they can do things which you can't do sort of classically. Yeah. Which is enough for the interest to be there, I suppose. Okay. So it's going to allow some technical people somewhere to do stuff that's never been possible before. Yeah, there was maybe half a year ago, Google claimed, I think, yeah, I think it was Google claimed that they had done something on a classical, on a on their sort of quantum computing device that you couldn't possibly do on a classical computer. It was a bit woolly because you can't verify that what they've done is what they've claimed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but presumably they wouldn't claim if they weren't very confident. Mm. And like this thing they want to do is kind of meaningful so you know that's already a meaningful thing they claim they can do so hopefully you know in the future there'll be more meaningful things as we understand them better yeah if the one of the largest companies in the world is kind of saying we've done something with this but maybe not everything with this that feels like a pretty good start so what so what kind of jobs are there in the in the like cryptography world and like potentially i guess not applications to security just yet so at the moment, there's sort of a few big cryptography jobs. There are always, you know, government jobs always exist mm-hmm. for cryptographers, essentially. There are, you know, companies like Google and IBM will have sort of big in-house crypto research teams. Microsoft do as well. Part, I guess cryptography distinct from computer security. They're just interested in what sort of products they can make. Mm-hmm. So we were talking earlier about sort of cloud storage, right? So if, if my data is stored in the cloud, what access do I want the cloud to possibly have to my data? It can it be encrypted by them, encrypted by me? So they want to research things like, can I store my data on the cloud encrypted? Okay, yes, that's easy. Mm-hmm. If I want to use the cloud's capabilities, so for example, like a cloud might, will have much more computing power than I do. I have a laptop, they have a server farm. So... If I want them to compute on my data, is there a way for me to like, send them my data in some sort of special format where without decrypting it, they can still do the computations on it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the answer they get is like an encrypted version of the answer. So like, this is a thing that this specific thing is probably unrealistic, in fact, it turns out, but sort of smaller variations of it exist. Mm. And like, this is a thing where like, in Microsoft, we worked on it. Google, um, private company, not private, like smaller companies. So this is the sort of thing. You'll have private companies like selling clever things you can do with cryptography that are like more maths than computer security. Okay. Other things, I mean, in terms of uh, the sort of quantum buildup, you know, there are people who, there are sort of small boutique companies that claim to be able to turn your current cryptography that your company runs into quantum resistant stuff i'm slightly skeptical these companies aren't mostly buzzwordy yeah but they do exist yeah. like you know their names are all like post-quantum shield or whatever I think. <laughs> yeah. 
or you know so but on the other hand they have lots of intelligent people on the company so presumably they're selling something correctly yeah just with a a buzzword heavy marketing team yeah i guess the other sort of big corporate application sort of related to this sort of computing in clouds is uh to sort of data science so data science is moving towards things like doing machine learning on healthcare data so this idea of how can you anonymize your healthcare data and then still have people do machine learning on it somehow in an anonymized format. There's this concept called differential privacy, which is to do with like, if you have a big list of information about people, what information can you glean without finding anything about a person? Mm, like, okay. you know, if you, if you know things about you know me and a thousand other of my like people I've met, how much can you find out about the population in general without finding out specific stuff about a person? Mm, okay. So, so what, for example, it could be like how healthy on average or something is this area of London without being able to say that, you know, Charlie Grover has eaten this and this yeah. and this. Yeah. And then can you make it, you know, can you find out about demographics, you know, age, gender, race or whatever. So there are companies that sort of, you know, sell solutions that do things a bit like this. The one, there is a company whose name, I don't know who sell a thing called I would call it private set intersection. I don't know what they call it, mm. but it's like um, if two people have lists of things and they want to find out who's on what's on both of their lists without like sharing information about the lists, how can they do this? So the example is always given is if like if you have a list of all airline passengers and a list of people on government watch lists mm-hmm. who you might not want to fly for some reason, um, how do they find out who's on both lists without the airline giving away private information or the government giving away private information? Okay. So you know, there are you know, companies that sell solutions like this are a real thing. And this, like, this feels like increasingly relevant as like security concerns come up with GDPR came in how many years ago? Um, like this feels like it has real, like a real impact. Like is is going to be needed almost everywhere? Yeah, I think it. Um, it got put in the spotlight a bit when WhatsApp claimed that their their encryption was peer-to-peer now, so that WhatsApp have no ability to decrypt your messages at all. Hmm. Um, which sort of looks like all upside and probably is. But So the idea is, can we have a more clever solution where WhatsApp can't look at your messages unless, you know, judge somewhere, permits them, and then WhatsApp can. And the only reason they can is because judge somewhere has permitted them and they couldn't have done it anyway just because mm. they wanted to yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah so it's like can you come up with clever solutions that deal with the sort of substantial moral gray areas that come with sort of modern security yeah oh, i see oh, it's it's like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take a quick second to like get my brain around this and so we took a quick break so I could catch up my brain to Charlie's and try to understand how WhatsApp could both have the ability to read my messages when important and also not have the ability at others. At this point, he took the opportunity to compliment my podcast. <laughs> You've perfected podcasting already. Two episodes in. Yeah. <laughs> the sarcasm was noticed and very quickly ignored. To get back on track, I asked Charlie about a term that gets thrown around a lot but which I have a suspicion that most people, including myself, don't fully understand. Can you can you though, can you very quickly explain to me mm-hmm. uh, what the cloud is? Uh, yeah. So essentially, you can imagine the cloud as 
uh, I guess just a stereotypical example would be Google's version of it or Amazon Web Services, but it's just a massive block of servers somewhere, often in the desert, usually in a very cold room. Mm-hmm. And somehow you, you know, you can relay information or requests to this cloud. And so you can just imagine it as them having like a ton of computers in a row and you say, I need to compute all this stuff. Can I borrow your computer? Because if I did it on my computer, it would be too slow. But, you know, they're not actual mm-hmm. physical computers like a laptop. They're just, you know, huge server farms. But it's just that big block of computers that you can make requests of and store information on, usually owned by some third party who's charging you for this. Okay. So it's, it doesn't feel like a complicated concept when you explain it like that. It's just lots of processing power somewhere far away. Yeah. All in one place. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so, and you were talking a bit about healthcare mm-hmm. before, about like anonymizing patient healthcare, but still being able to like get insights from it. Yeah. Do you, like, do you know much about that? Just because it's quite, quite an interesting area. So I know that there was a relatively big news story a year or two ago where some company doing machine learning on healthcare data just bought a bunch of data in the US and just had access to a lot of people's healthcare data which is pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know about the sort of overarching techniques that one might use to do this. Homomorphic encryption being the sort of the gold standard for what we would like to exist, which is being able to compute any operation on any encrypted data. That one's a bit unrealistic. There's also this sort of you know uh, differential privacy concept that I was talking about before, but that's a bit limited. Okay, so... So you were saying that it's basically, it's always been that in in 20 years we'll have quantum computing and it will make our lives loads better. But it's been like that for the last however many years. Yeah. Uh, Oh, what's the question here? It can't be, is this going to happen in another 20 years? (laughs) Because the answer will be, sure. I mean, so I do think that it is visibly ramping up what people can and can't do. I don't know if what Google claimed to have done is something they've really done because it's quite hard to verify. But there are lots of people doing things like this where they've done something on a quantum computer or they've broken a new record on a quantum computing device and they're starting to sort of, what was initially a trickle of this is starting to ramp up a bit. So you might believe that these claims that were initially, oh, we'll have a quantum computer 20 years, it can't be that hard. Mm. And now we'll have a quantum computer in 20 years, we can make a small one, going from a small one to a big one is probably easier than going from nothing to a small one. Okay. So because people have already made that first step, it's now just scaling it up rather than kind of stepping into a bold new frontier. Yeah. I think maybe I was talking about this guy who I think was from IBM who was saying that, you know, if you give him 2 billion, he can give you a quantum computer. Maybe the point, the sort of sensible takeaway from this isn't give him 2 billion. It's they know how to do it and they know how to scale it up. They just have sort of physical restrictions like the amount of space it takes up might be too high if you know you've seen a picture of colossus or whatever the initial classical computer this thing was massive so but still once colossus existed things started getting smaller and more functional pretty quickly so you know if they know how to make the quantum colossus they can make a quantum computer eventually first of all that's an amazing name the quantum colossus that can be your (laughs) that can be the next company you work for's name (laughs) so like there is like mad amounts of money spent on um, like loads of quite pie in the sky type ideas. Like I'm like I was reading about SpaceX um, and the like pretty incredible 
stuff that's been done with them and satellites and kind of all that stuff, which has, I assume, similar restrictions to like physical feasibility. Is there any, is there like a reason that this hasn't been pushed forward as quickly? Is it just because it's like not sexy as space or kind of any of those headline grabbing headlines? So I think that it's happening with relatively large sums of money put behind it in the background. I think the problem with comparing something like SpaceX is that SpaceX you can sell to people at a high price, right? Like if I'm an investor, I might invest in SpaceX with the thought that once SpaceX becomes a company selling space flights, it's going to be really profitable. Mm-hmm. Whereas being a company that owns a quantum computer, for example, is a bit of a weird concept. Like what do you do with it? You, yeah. <laughs> you Like someone uses a cloud, you charge people to use it for certain sums of time. Yeah. But it's slightly harder to visualize. So the people investing it are the people who want one for themselves or might make use of one themselves for the most part. So, you know, governments, Google, IBM, whatever. So the sort of money that's going into it is a bit quieter and less exciting, but it is substantial. It might not be as much as SpaceX, but it is like the sums going into this are vast. They just don't happen in the public eye as much. Yeah. And I guess like you can always see space you can always see the moon you can't like quite see a, the quantum levels of <laughs> atoms flying about whatever yeah that yeah that's also true right a person understands a person understands what a missile does or like a rocket or whatever whereas a person doesn't really understand what a quantum computer does given that i just barely understand what a quantum computer does <laughs> <laughs> with four years of intense study okay I, is is there like anything else that like you think is interesting that like, you think people would be interested to hear about? So maybe one cool thing you can do on a quantum computer that's sort of data science related often that will be a thing they can do better than classical computers probably is you can solve optimization problems, which is quite a nice idea. So imagine you have some, you have a bunch of things and you want to arrange them optimally. This is a bad way of, this is a pretty, pretty low level way of explaining it. These are like a, a collection of items and depending on how you arrange them, it's better or worse. Your quantum computer might be able to solve problems like this much faster than a classical computer, which is pretty good for things like machine learning and data science. But just the idea that you have some function and you want to you know, find the way to max, like, get the best use out of your function is a thing a quantum computer might be able to do. Is sort of a nice sort of selling point for them, even if it's not immediately clear what use you might make of this. So if the like simple thing I've heard which kind of resonates with me is a similar idea is the idea of sorting like books on a bookshelf like if you wanted to do it by size you basically go through an algorithm and sort it is that like is that relevant (laughs) to quantum computing or is am I like completely off the mark this sounds like a variant of something called the knapsack problem which I don't know if you can do on a quantum computer I would be relatively surprised if you could okay but but this but this idea that you have a bunch of things and you want to sort them you want to find like a good way of sorting them is the kind of thing that you will probably be able to do faster on a quantum computer than a regular computer in the end. Okay. Yeah. A very quick Google search on my phone reveals that there are quantum algorithms for the knapsack problem. So yes, this is a thing that you'll be able to solve on a quantum computer. I don't know how good they are, but there are papers written about them. So they're probably not bad. Oh, cool. And I guess with just like the almost infinite amounts of data being stored in places now, sorting through that data and sorting the data itself is like something that will be happening in the future quite a lot and if we can help that why not? yeah that's true the fact that they're appearing at the same time as the amount of data important to the world is 
increasing exponentially is somewhat convenient. Hmm. So what, hmm. let's talk about, do, like, do you know much about like, or do you care much about the increasing amounts of data in the world? Because it's, it's been something that I've been like trying to get businesses to grips with for the, for the last three years. I mean, so I do think that healthcare is sort of the sort of amazingly interesting one. Like these algorithms that detect things that are related that aren't obviously related can be pretty powerful. And there is a lot of healthcare data out in the world. So the problem is finding a way that people can do this without, you know, creating any pretty severe privacy issues. But I think this is a sort of an example of a space where, you know, if I told you that big data was going to be important in healthcare, it's not immediately obvious that this is true. You could, you know, you can teach robots to read scans or whatever if you have, if you give them access to enough scans. So I'm trying to think of the topical issue that feels relevant there is like coronavirus, where I've read things about being able to tell if someone has coronavirus through like the tone of their voice or the a few like aspects of their voice where if you had thousands of people recording the same sentence or the same noises into a microphone into an app and some people knew they had coronavirus and so were tagged as coronavirus it would then pick up similar aspects of those voices and be able to predict which new people recorded it may or may not have had coronavirus um is that the kind of stuff you're talking about yeah um this idea that what you've got is a bunch of data that you know which ones have the property you want and which ones don't have the property you want. You can sort of feed all that data into a computer and then it goes, okay, now I think I know how to tell like from a new piece of data whether or not they have this property. So if they have coronavirus or if they're predisposed to some sort of illness or whatever. And then even stronger than once you give them a few data, if you're able to sort of supervise this, this algorithm afterwards, so give it some more cases and it'll tell you what it thinks is true. And then if you can then tell it whether or not it was right, it can get better over time. And because it's a computer rather than a person, it can just like it can do this on a scale that a doctor just can't, right? A person has a certain amount of mental bandwidth that's massively exceeded by probably even my laptop. Mm. So if you have a big server farm, then it can just, you know, it can really go off and see all these sort of correlations that we can't. And so, yeah, in, in diagnosis, I guess that's hugely valuable. All right, so we've had tough concepts explained by Charlie Grover TM. We've had <laughs> cloud, <laughs> a little bit machine learning. Well, thank you. Thank you, Charlie, for coming on the pod. That's all right. That's all right. Um, and explaining many a tough concept to me. That's <laughs> my, okay. My brains, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna open the beer as reward. <laughs> it is now five o'clock, so um, it's it is. Time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is exactly five o'clock on a Friday. Seems acceptable. <laughs> yeah. it smells really good. The, the beer. Yeah, yeah, not the, not the success of making it through to five o'clock. <laughs> and thank you for making it through to this point too. I really appreciate all of you listening to the podcast at this early stage, and I hope you're enjoying it and finding it valuable. Uh, your feedback is always welcome. You can leave a comment on the website, jproduct.co.uk forward slash future shift, Instagram at future underscore shift, or message me any other way you know how. I'm always trying to make the show a bit better. Speaking of which, I've got a really exciting couple of episodes lined up on education, where we'll be integrating the stories of people in these industries just a little bit more, while still learning about how things are changing and the new technologies that are out there. This should be released Monday 22nd of June, and before that on Monday 15th, there'll be a little bit on blockchain from this chat from Charlie. Uh, thanks again for listening, it really does make all the difference, and speak to you soon. Bye.